Hey everybody. So apparently some of the platforms did not get the proper edited version of my most recent episode, Lost Children. So I'm re-uploading it. And hopefully every platform will have the correct version available for you to listen to. So thank you for listening and thank you for your patience. And this should be the correct version of my most recent episode. Picture yourself on a planned weekend getaway to the woods with your family or friends. Just a short trip an hour or more away from home to go camping or hiking for the day or on an early morning fishing expedition. Regardless of the reason, it's only meant to be fun and adventurous. It's those expectations that make it easy for us to forget that the woods can be as dangerous as they are beautiful and can turn a fun adventure into a heart-pounding nightmare. Many areas of woodlands around the world are isolated and remote and remain untouched and unexplored by man leaving large sections of them mysterious and unknown. Hundreds of disappearance cases begin in the woods, and many involve children. The stories of how they went missing has a hauntingly familiar theme. The parents lost sight of them only for a moment. A moment that will change their lives forever. This is the fourth episode of Season 2 of They Disappeared. Lost Children. The haunting stories of children vanishing in the woods. It was Labor Day weekend in 1974 that Ron and Jill Newton left for a family camping trip with their children, six-year-old Kimberly and four-year-old Kurt. On that Friday, August 29th, they parked their tent camper at the Natanis Point campground located in Chain of Ponds, Maine, near the Canadian border. Their camp was situated one mile from an abandoned logging road, where Ron would go later to gather wood for a fire. On Saturday... Family friends arrived to join the Newtons in building a large bonfire, with all of the children playing nearby. As Jill Newton would say later, it was just an ordinary night. The following day, Sunday, August 31st, after breakfast, Jill walked to the wash house that was 50 yards from their campsite to wash mud off of the children's sneakers. Since the last of their firewood had been used to keep the bonfire from the previous night burning, Ron left in his truck and drove towards the logging road to get more. While six-year-old Kimberly played a game, four-year-old Kurt got on his tricycle and pedaled away. When Jill returned to the campsite only ten minutes later, she assumed Kurt had went with his dad to get firewood. When she didn't see Kurt's tricycle, she asked if anyone had seen him. One of the friends said they thought they had heard Kurt call out for his dad, 
but hadn't actually seen him. When Ron returned alone, panic set in. A quarter mile from the Newton's campsite, a 12-year-old girl named Lou Ellen Hansen reported seeing Kurt riding his tricycle past their camp. Llewellyn was the daughter of the campground caretaker at the time, and is now the last known person to have seen Kurt Newton. Llewellyn, concerned that such a young child was riding a trike alone, reportedly asked him, Do your parents know where you are? But Kurt didn't respond. Jack Hansen, Llewellyn's father, would later find Kurt's tricycle at the edge of the woods just before a steep rise in the road. With outside temperatures dropping, a large search effort took place to find Kurt before sunset, concentrating on the road where he was last seen. A game warden was able to secure the use of a helicopter, and with Kurt's dad on board, they used a loudspeaker to call out for him as it hovered over the dense woodland. Over the next several days, the largest volunteer search effort in the state of Maine took place to locate Kurt. Appeals for volunteers on TV and radio brought buses of people to the campground. Paper mill workers, college students, woodsmen, mountain rescue teams, and bloodhounds scoured the area, doing shoulder-to-shoulder searches. A C-130 gunship with heat-seeking equipment was deployed to do a night flyover looking for a heat signature in the sub-20-degree weather. Even the governor of Maine got involved, promising the Newtons he would do everything in his power to bring Kurt home, extending the search until September 12th. When the search officially ended, with no trace of Kurt Newton ever found, In 1979, four years after Kurt Newton vanished, the magazine New England Today caught up with the Newtons and asked them to recall the day Kurt went missing and the impact the ordeal had taken on their lives. Their basement remained full of leftover missing posters they had made of Kurt. They had posted thousands of them throughout Maine and in parts of Canada over the years. Kurt's mother, Jill, remained hopeful, saying, I have tomorrow, and tomorrow may bring Kurt home. Forty-five years have now passed since the disappearance of Kurt Newton, a four-year-old boy who somehow peddled his tricycle into nowhere. Our second case takes us to a gorgeous fall weekend in October of 1999, when single father Alan Adedero and his children, three-year-old Jared and six-year-old Jocelyn, stayed at the Podre River Resort located in the mountains of Fort Collins, Colorado. Alan owned the resort with his brother, and that weekend he was hosting eleven of his friends, all of whom belonged to the same Christian singles group as Alan. On Saturday, October 2nd, the day after they had arrived, Alan allowed Jared and Jocelyn to hike with the group to a nearby fish hatchery. It was a mile and a half into that hike 
that Jared reportedly ran ahead of the group. Two fishermen would later recall that they had seen Jared approximately 50 feet ahead of the rest of the group, and just as quickly as they had seen him, he had disappeared. Once the group realized Jared was missing, they searched for him for over an hour, before sending two members back to the resort to inform Alan his son was missing. The resort manager contacted the Larimer County Sheriff's Office, and soon after members of the county search and rescue arrived to help look for the missing boy. A Huey helicopter from Warren Air Force Base was also deployed to the area to assist in the search, but a freak accident caused the helicopter to crash near the search area, forcing a more focused ground search effort to be established. Dive teams conducted searches of small pools of water in the nearby South River, while large groups hiked through canyons and up rocky ledges and slopes. After a week of extensive searches, and no sign of Jared, the search was called off. It was a puzzling disappearance. The remote location made an abduction highly unlikely, and the group Jared was with was questioned extensively, including his sister Jocelyn. They all said the same thing, that he was only out of their sight for a moment, before vanishing without a trace. But the story of what happened to Jared Adadero only begins here, and picks back up three years later. On June 4th, 2003, two hikers named Gary Watts and Rob Osborne were off trail in an area near the spot Jared was last seen, when they found a child's shoe sitting on top of a ledge 500 feet above the trail. Nearby, they found the other shoe and a tattered children's-sized jacket and shredded sweatpants. After reporting the find, searchers found more pieces of clothing scattered across a 25-foot area. The recovery of items continued for several weeks, when on the 11th day of searching, just before Father's Day, a searcher found a human tooth lying on a fallen tree branch. And nearby, the top of a small skull was discovered. DNA tests later confirmed that both belonged to Jared Adadero. It was learned later that the original search teams never checked above the trail and that if the helicopter hadn't crashed, it likely would have spotted him. The most common theory of what happened to Jared is a mountain lion attack. Despite his clothing having no blood staining, after three years, it's possible that that type of evidence washed away with the elements. Twenty years after his son vanished, a journalist spoke with Alan at Adero at his home. Now white-haired and retired, Alan retrieved a box from a bedroom closet and took out items of Jared's. It was from this box 
that Alan took out a plastic bag that contained what was left of his son. The small skull fragment found three years after his disappearance. As he held it in his hands, Alan said, I know it seems weird, and people might not understand, but this is all I have of him. It was a sad conclusion to the case of Jared Adadero, a little boy who excitedly ran ahead of his hiking group and vanished, leaving disturbing clues of what happened to him behind. Our last case is one of the oldest open missing persons cases in the United States. It occurred on Sunday, May 8, 1938, in Bradford, New York. On that day, Shirley and Cecilia West attended church with their three children, 11-year-old Dorothea, 7-year-old Alan, and 4-year-old Marjorie. After church service, the West family drove to a clearing in the Allegheny Forest 13 miles away. It was there that they met up with friends and planned a fun day that included fishing and a picnic. Around 3 p.m., Cecilia went to the family car to nap. Shirley went fishing with their friends and son Alan, while Dorothea and Marjorie stayed behind to pick flowers. After the two girls had gathered a sizable bouquet, they walked back towards the family car to give them to their mother. Dorothea would say later that she only took a few steps ahead of Marjorie, and when she turned around, her sister was gone. Because Marjorie vanished at a time when cell phones were considered science fiction, the West had to drive seven miles to the nearest town to notify police. Police searched the forest the rest of that day and night, and when they failed to locate her, a call-out for volunteers brought 500 locals to assist in the search. The volunteers stood 25 yards apart, forming a line that stretched a mile. Combing through four square miles, police even brought in bloodhounds that reportedly traced her scent to a nearby road where a crushed bouquet of picked flowers was found. Unfortunately, Media reports from 80 years ago give different variations on any clues that were found, but they consistently report that searchers battled rattlesnakes and had to avoid abandoned mines which reportedly pockmarked parts of the search area. By the end of the week, 35 square miles had been searched by over 2,500 volunteers, some of whom were Native American trackers but no signs of the missing four-year-old were ever found. Theories run rampant as to what actually happened to Marjorie West. One theory that was investigated was conducted by Harold Beck. Beck was a writer and college professor who posted a $10,000 reward for information about the case. He included a current picture of Marjorie's older sister, Dorothea, figuring there could be a resemblance to a living woman at the time. 
In 2005, following a tip he received, Beck reportedly traveled to North Carolina to talk to a woman he says believed she was Marjorie. Of course, details on confirming her identity with current scientific methods such as a DNA test were not performed, and the woman was not ever identified. Most people, including descendants of the West's, dismiss Beck's story as an effort to sell copies of his book, Finding Marjorie. Whatever Marjorie's fate, all that is known for certain is that she was picking flowers with her older sister one moment, and the next moment she was gone, and no verifiable clue as to what happened to her was ever discovered. These stories are haunting reminders of how life can change in the blink of an eye. When we enjoy any outing in the woods, whether it's a short hike or an overnight campfire, it's easy to forget that where there is beauty and peace, there is also mystery and danger. The best advice for anyone going on an outing with young children is to teach them beforehand of danger. Always go prepared for the worst possible scenario. And above all else, never take your eyes off of your kids, not even for a second. Because you don't want to join the group of parents heartbroken and still looking for their lost children.